Welcome everyone. We are so blessed that God has brought you here to worship with us today. And if you are here for the first time, uh, we want to welcome you with open arms. So please visit our guest information table after the service. It's the first table out there on the patio. And someone will be there to give you a Bible and some other information to help you get connected. We're here to help you take those next steps in your walk with uh, Christ, no matter where you are in your journey. Um, also, if you would fill out the Connect With Us slip, it's the last sheet in the bulletin. Just uh, give us your email address and any other information, and we will get connected with you this week. Uh, so much happening. Uh, Holy Week will start next Sunday with Palm Sunday. Join us as we come together to honor uh, the Lord's journey to the cross. Uh, Palm Sunday, um, we will have a brunch between services. It's our annual traditional brunch that we have, and it's from 10 to 11. So you, you all will have to get here a little early to enjoy that uh, delicious food and bring your friends. This is just a great celebration. We'll have moon bounces for the kids, and it's just like a big you know, family party out there. And um, then on Monday, Thursday, we have a service at 6.30, same with Good Friday, 6.30 to 7.30. Uh, and we will have child care for the little ones at those services, so join us for those. They're always very, very special. And then Easter Sunday, three services, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. These are family-friendly services, so um, kids uh, first grade through on up will be in here with us, and there will be a program for the kids under first grade. They'll have an Easter egg hunt and enjoy some fun back in the back. Um, so come on those on Easter Sunday, and we would recommend that you park in this lot next door. You don't need to pay or anything, the garage will be open, but there's a lot next door for overflow parking. We anticipate a big crowd that day. There are these invitations in the foyer that you can take as you leave, so you can um, give these to your neighbors and your friends um, for Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, okay? So grab those as you leave. Uh, then we have life groups starting up after Easter. Um, we have life groups on ramps every January, every first Easter, and then again in the fall. So we'll have life groups starting up again doing a series called Thrive. It's a discipleship series, and it will coincide with Pastor Steve's sermon series. Um, and it's really just about, you know, not just merely believing in Jesus, but actually learning to live and love like him day in and day out. Um, Scott Schimmel and I are writing the Life Group Study, and we're really excited about it. So uh, sign up on the, at the events table today to be in a Life Group. And then um, last, we have the Aspire Women's Conference on April 21st. It's a Friday evening. We have a lot of women signing up for this, so it's going to be a really fun time. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, there's a flyer in your bulletin. Four amazing speakers, a wonderful time of worship. Uh, all of us get to sit together, and um, it'll be just a wonderful evening of renewal and refreshment for the women of this church. So, uh, Now, let's all stand, greet the people around us, and we'll continue worshiping the Lord together.
here today, and um, I just want to lift up anyone who's having a hard time in any part of their lives, in relationships, or physical health, or mental health. Um, we just want to lift those all up to you, and thanks for letting us come here and worship you together.
am, Lord, and use me for your glory. I'm not my own. I belong to the King. Uh, thank you. It's fantastic. Um, what we want to do is just do a quick interview of everybody here because we want to determine who's the greatest in the room. <laughs> who can bear the glory? Who, who deserves to, to express the glory? So we just start over here and uh, have you stand. Actually, we don't need to do that because it's already been clarified for us uh, in the Bible. And so uh, my name is Steve Murray. I'm a pastor here at Hawaii Community Church. If you're new to coming to church, we welcome you and uh, tell you that what we do here isn't about people inviting God to show up. We gather around God uh, and ask Him to show us uh, what's up. And so we, we turn to His Word, and uh, we're in Matthew, a gospel, a story uh, written by Matthew to talk about his experience with Jesus. And it's one of four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all do that. So we get this stereoscopic uh, picture of what Jesus did and understand why he did it. And so at one point, uh, we're, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, uh, a long time ago, somebody figured out if you divide the Bible into chapters and verses, people could find a way around in it a lot easier. So it didn't come that way uh, out of the box, so to speak, but that's a later edition, uh, a special feature. I hope you appreciate it. And so we're in Matthew 18, and before this, uh, Matthew's telling us that in the north, north, north part of Israel, uh, in, a, in a little uh, community called Caesarea Philippi, um, under the mountain, Mount Hermon, where there, as we speak of skiing, spring skiing on Mount Hermon right now in Israel, it's a beautiful place. And so Jesus uh, says to his disciples, his 12 men, so who do people say that I am? And so they come up with all these things that they hear people saying about who Jesus is. And then Jesus says to them, well, so who do you say I uh, This is sort of them, them doing a version, uh, him helping them do a version of, my friend wants to know if you'll go out with me. You know, um, so what are the people saying about me? And by the way, what do you think? And so Peter, one of the disciples, um, the most impetuous of the disciples, said, pick me, I know you are the Messiah. And, and Jesus said, you're right. Uh, and, and God told him that. And so Peter is basking in glory, saying, Lord, take all I am, Lord. Use me for your glory. Uh, I am not my own. And, and as soon as he basically said that, uh, Jesus tells him that we're going to now turn our attention from the north here. We're going to go south, but up. We're going to go to Jerusalem. And there, some very serious things are going to happen. Uh, he, he talks about his own imminent uh, death. Immediately, P Peter, obviously the greatest among these guys, says, hey, hey, whoa, whoa, that's a very bad idea, Lord. Very bad idea, for some obvious reasons. Uh, and Jesus then um, sort of surprises Peter and all the guys by saying, get thee behind me, Satan. Uh, you don't know what the will of God is. And this big moment of, like, really? Uh, and so for the rest of the time, as they go back toward Jerusalem, uh, it, there's a sense of impending, uh, if not doom, a sense of dread. And along the way also, all the, uh, almost all the Gospels tell us that, that the disciples, as they're going to, to Jerusalem, start having these conversations about who's the greatest. I think they saw that Peter had the edge and is now out. <laughs> And so now they're all kind of jockeying, lobbying. And so in Matthew 18, we see that they, they come to Jesus uh, with this question. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of God? Uh, an impossible situation, you know. Um, and, and the presumption is just thick. First of all, we know we'll be in the kingdom of God. Just want to know our status in the kingdom of heaven. And so I have these pictures for you. I have one of Moses, Charlton Heston, a.k.a. Moses, um, holding the Ten Commandments. And then you see David, the king, wearing the crown. David, uh, you know, arguably Moses. Why are we having this conversation? We already knew the greatest in the kingdom is Moses. He brought the commandments from God. Or David, the great king over Israel, to whom it was said that it would be through the line of David that the Messiah would come. Or perhaps it's Peter. Because Peter, in, in these conversations previous with Jesus, Jesus had said to him in front of everybody, I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. So which one is it? The one bearing the commandments, the one wearing the crown, uh, the one holding the keys. 
Um, so the assumptions here about God are thick. So what are your assumptions about God? What are your assumptions about God? If you have known Him for a long time, or if you're just exploring Him and, and overcoming your revulsion to the idea of, of believing in God. Literally, uh, I have friends on that whole spectrum who would say, don't ever confuse me with somebody who believes in God. I think that's really demeaning for you to even assume I'm that naive. And others would say, I can't imagine my life but for Christ at the center. So what are your assumptions about God? My friends who don't believe in God would say, hey, if God lets people go to hell, then I don't want really to know about God like that. Or if God does this or God does that, I don't, I'm not interested. But what if God's better than you imagine? What if he's better than you imagine? What if we don't quite understand what's going on? Uh, and if we did, if we knew the context, we'd say, thank you very much. For example, a guy walks into a bar. The bartender sees the man, pulls out a gun, and points it, points it at the man. The man says, thank you very much, and he walked out of the bar. Anyway, so continuing on well, with, with it, if you don't know the context and you were in the bar, you think, that is odd. A guy walked into a bar, the bartender pulls a gun on him, the guy says, thank you, and walks out of the bar. Well, if you know the whole story, it's that the guy walked into the bar and he had horrible, horrible hiccups. And he's trying to order a drink, but he sees he wants to get a drink of water, and so he jumps into the first bar he sees, he goes up, he's going to ask for a glass of water, but he can't even ask because he's got the hiccups. The guy pulls out a gun, he goes, whoa, hey, thank you. And he walks out to go where he's trying to go. So this is a sort of situation, it has nothing to do with the sermon, but it's a great little story. It's what you need more time. But see, it's better than you imagine. It wasn't just somebody doing a mean thing to somebody. It's them helping. So what if God is helping us in ways that we don't even understand, therefore we're so defended against him, we're not getting what he's trying to do us. Um, and so are you ready to be surprised? Whether you don't know him and you're curious, or skeptical, or whether you know him really well and you're maybe going through a rough patch, Dealing with some doubts. And they say, where is God in all this? Who's in charge? Who's the greatest? Who do I turn to for help? And so, um, the first big point of the morning is this. Jesus responds to them in a surprising way. He responds to them in a surprising way. Why? He does, does this. He called a little child to them and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Can you imagine the surprise? Well, no, we're talking about the greatest. The greatest. <laughs> One of us, the greatest, and he brings his child. Now, it's interesting, he says, uh, <clears throat> takes the lowly position of this child. In our culture, children are quite elevated. In my lifetime, I went from... Um, don't talk until spoken to, to, do you mind if I say something? You know, and so uh, we've had this big shift, but, but even in the, in, in the Greek, in, in, the, in which this text is written originally, child is not he or she, it's it. Children were sort of not entities until they got old enough to contribute financially or to be married and to be productive uh, in the community. And so the fact that Jesus would take a child, whether it was a boy or a girl, we don't know. Because it's, it's indeterminate here. But then he would do this. Unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So really, he's saying to them, the conversation about who's the greatest is irrelevant because you're not even in yet. So unless you change and become like little children. Notice he didn't say until you become childish. It's not about being childlike. Uh, childlike is very winsome and attractive. Childish, not so much. I have been called childish much more than I've been called childlike. I'd like, to, I'd like to upgrade my status and be more childlike, and probably that would work for most of us here. And so what does that look like? I, I mean, what is Humble and vulnerable, open and imaginative, trusting and teachable, receptive to guidance and discipline, filled with wonder and awe, willing to risk physically, spiritually, emotionally, Cooperative and inclusive of others, intuitive and observant, curious and willing to ask questions. Uh, isn't this true? I started thinking about this, and every one of these that I think of, I think of examples in my own childhood or, my, or our kids. You know, at the base of a tree running around in our yard, going, please don't fall, please don't fall, please don't fall, please don't fall. And yet they're willing to risk and do these things and hang with one arm for a branch. Hey, it's great up here, you know. 
Well, teach me this. What about that? Hey, where did I come from? Why does this work and that doesn't work? All those wonderful things about, about what little children bring. And having done that, having said this is the conversation we should be having, he then gives them a warning. This is the next big point of warning. Jesus warns them to treat children well. And embedded in this warning to treat children well is also wanting to treat well anybody who comes childlike to God. So he expands the category for the little children to childlike people of all ages and stages. And so he gives this warning. And by the way, this isn't your kids uh, in a school in Israel right now. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a school in Israel where Palestinian kids, Arab kids, and Jewish kids go to school here. So you see these beautiful kids here in this picture. And Jesus warns them by saying, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. <clears throat> As I read this, this week, I thought, this is the, I, don't, I don't recall any other time when Jesus made a threat like this. He would say, oh, these people are like whitewashed sepulchers, whitewashed tombs. Beautiful on the outside, dead inside. Or he said, these people are blind guys. They don't, don't follow them. I don't remember him ever saying anything so long this. If this was a film, also the music would come up really scary. You know, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them. So it's not like the worst consequence is having a millstone tied around you and you thrown into the sea. That would be the good option. That's like the better option. This is, it would be better for them to have that happen than what the consequence will be for them. So this is a very, very serious, stern warning uh, about treating children well. Why? Because children are beloved by God. In his kingdom, children should never be abused or abandoned, mistreated or deprived of care, treated as objects or possessions, humiliated, nor will children be worshipped. Children shall never be spiritually neglected or else. And then we see here a picture of a full-grown man standing next to a millstone and a picture of the sea. Because the, the phrase here, the word here that, that Matthew uses is a deep, 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 deep sea. And so it's a, it's a very uh, serious thing. But then, um, why should any of this matter to us? That, that's the question I, I, I inevitably ask. It's, uh, when I look at the Bible, I see what, what's going on here. And I see the so what, and it says, well, what does this mean? And then I see the now what. We're kind of at the so what stage. Okay, that's what he said, and that happened, and that's interesting, but so what? Well, I find the so what to be this. This is the third point I want to make. That Jesus raises the questions we're not asking. You know, we don't come to him and say, take all I have, Lord. Use me for your Lord. I'm not my own. I belong to the king. We come to him saying, you know, um, I'm looking and maybe open to negotiating with you because I am my own person and I want to know one. But I think you could be helpful to me and I think I could be helpful to you. So can we talk? Who would be the greatest in your kingdom? And we don't really do it that way. We're way more subtle than that. You get the idea. We're asking all the wrong questions. And Jesus is raising issues and asking questions that we are just not asking. Now, one of the great things is when I see people grow, they always ask better questions. When people grow, they ask better questions. And you know, you know you're in a great relationship, in, in a friendship, in a dating relationship, in a marriage, in a family, in a church, in, in a company, when you can ask any question and you can raise any issue. If you ever find yourself in a situation where it's just not okay to ask a question or raise an issue, get out of that situation. Or Commit yourself to changing the situation so that you can ask the questions and raise the issues. Uh, this would be a question like, can we talk? There seems to be an issue that we can't talk about. Is there a reason we can't talk about this issue? And so this is what Jesus is, is saying to us. Uh, you know, learn from me. I have something to tell you. I have a gift I want to give you. Uh, and so is it possible we might be missing something? by not asking the right questions. By presenting God with defenses against his intrusion in your life. By making accusations about him. I can't believe he pulled the gun on that guy. 
What if we're all made for his kingdom? What if every human being ever born is, is meant to be in the kingdom of God? And because God respects our will, he is sovereign. He's not, he's not applying to the job. He is the sovereign Lord of all things, the creator of all things. But he respects our will. And what if you were made to know him and be in a relationship with him? But everything you've experienced and heard and interpreted leads you to believe that that's just not possible or really worthwhile. But what if you were made for his kingdom? What if all of us were? And what if we're called by God and guide others into his kingdom? Because having discovered him as a kid magnet and we want to be childlike, we're drawn to him irresistibly. Um, when I took a really little, uh, I take him with me to places, and, and uh, one time I had Lauren and Megan with me, the really little Nikki uh, kids, and had to run, run an errand uh, a couple blocks away from our house at what was then Hughes Market, the Newport Beach. And there, there, I ran into a guy I knew, I didn't know him well, but he lived down in the neighborhood, and, and he was this awesome guy named Chuck Smith. He started a church called Catholic Chuck. He's an awesome guy. And Chuck Smith was a kid magnet. So there we met in the produce section, and immediately seeing uh, two kids in, in the cart. I think the kids just thought this is a recreational thing. I'm pushing around the cart. You know, so they're in the cart, you know, and, and there's Chuck, and he just, we, 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 we just parked next to each other there in the produce section, and he just started playing with the kids. And the kids just love, love being around. And so about, I don't know, 25 years later, uh, I, I saw him, and we were sitting there talking, and he said, hey, Chuck, remember the time at Cheese Market? He goes, yeah. I said, you are a kidnapper. He goes, I know. <laughs> and he was. And it's funny. And the reason he was a kidnapper, yeah, uh, is he was a tough, competitive guy. You get to know him, a tough, competitive guy. But he was a kidnapper. Why? Because he just said, man, I just love being around kids for all those qualities that I've read a moment ago. See, that's how Jesus is. They were attracted to him. What a horrible thing to stop somebody from being connected with or living God. And wouldn't it be great if we could understand that we're all called in this kingdom. And we're called by, by His grace and, and privilege to guide others into His kingdom. Not by coercion, not by control, not by fear, but by love. In the way that Jesus loves children. Let the children come to me. And so here's our moment, you know, to choose milestones over millstones. To choose milestones of the milestones. Milestones are those things that mark great passages in our time, in our family, in our friendships. Remember the time, remember the time. That's one of the most fun things about hanging out with your adult kids, is talking about all the things you've been through, right? Remember the time, yeah. And what was maybe a, a time for tears then is now something you're laughing about? Uh, or maybe something that you've been fighting about whose fault it really was for 20 years, all since we've been, you know, that was my fault. Seriously? Can you put that writing? You know? um, so this is what a milestone is. And so rather than picking a millstone, I'm getting in the way of God and people. What's a milestone going to look like in our lives? Hey, this is where I had a chance to introduce my friend to my friend. And he really loved meeting my friend. Don't you love when your friends meet your friends? I love it when somebody gets to know Jesus because they say, you know, it wasn't like I thought he was. It's better than I thought. And so, yeah, it really is, isn't it, you know? So we had this statement that we, we had this official statement in our core ideology. It says, our youth will never become who we hope and pray they will become until and unless they have a community of involved, mature adult disciples demonstrating an authentic relationship with Jesus in the kingdom of God, in the real world. This is our milestone moment. And I want to flip that statement to say, you know, we've committed ourselves to that. And so we're now in the midst of that. So this is what it looks like right now. Our youth are becoming who we are and pray they will become. Because they are beloved by God and are full participants in a community of involved and mature adult disciples demonstrating an authentic relationship with Jesus in the kingdom of God and in the world. We've embarked on this. This is where we're going. Now we're taking baby steps. We want to do it much more effectively than we're currently doing it. But we need everybody to be in on the deal. So I ask you this big question. Are you willing to play an active part in that kind of community? Are you willing to play an active part in that kind of community? Here's how. You simply show up and say, wherever I see a kid, I say, hey, how are you doing? What's your name? How old are you? How's that going for you? I just met a great kid on the way to church. He said, hey, how are you doing? And he said, 
I said, how old are you? He said, five. I said, how's, how's it going to be at five? That's all right. Why is it all right? He said, ah, all the kids at school don't play with me. And then I found out, it's because he's a, he's a kid that everybody wants to be around. That's a real tough bird to bear, isn't it? When you're, you know, at 15, you want nobody to play with me. You know? The thing is, this is what happens. This is what happens. When you're an adult, you simply ask, hey, how are you doing? What's going on? Wouldn't it be great if when a, 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 any kid of any age and stage, walking from their car to the class or into the, the, the patio or the church, would have some adults say, hey, how are you doing? And how's it going? It doesn't take a lot of time. It just takes a little bit of attention. It doesn't require big profound insights about anything. It just requires a little bit of presence to acknowledge. And then those of you who are saying, you know, I, I, I really love the work with the children's ministry. I really love the work with junior hires. I'm a little intimidated by junior hires. Uh, junior hires do not understand how intimidated adults are by them. Because it brings back so many unpleasant, painful memories of, oh my gosh, how are they around this? When we're working with high school students, that's even get even more scary for adults. You know, really? Nothing like uh, a, a, a ninth grade girl to look at a grown man and go, really? You're wearing that? They can just wither you just by a look, you know? So adults are very intimidated. But what if we got over our intimidation and we just started walking around and said, hey, is anything you guys need here? Anything I can do to help? How many of you know that we have a team of high school students and high school leaders going to the Dominican Republic? And they need cash, cold, hard cash, serious money to make it to the Dominican Republic to serve. Wouldn't it be great if you didn't know any of them and you just said, hey, uh, I heard that y'all are going to uh, the Dominican. Here's my five bucks. Here's my 500 bucks. I hope this helps. See, this is how we start to fulfill this answer to the question, are you willing to play an active part in that kind of community? Simply by being an enthusiastic cheerleader to every kid you see. Recognizing that they are a walking, talking of God's incredible grace. An unrepeatable miracle of God's handiwork in development, and every adult tells them if they're worthy or not. Even the most disinterested, detached kid wants to know that people are paying attention, saying, I think you're worth something. They don't need lectures. They don't need instructions. They just need somebody to say, I see you, and I'm really glad to see you. So this is our big milestone moment. And we're seeing it work. So how do we demonstrate the kingdom? We simply do what Jesus said to do. We become beloved children of God by faith in Him. We regain, we recapture that notion of being childlike. Uh, I tell you, there's nothing more winsome than a person who's at any age or stage in adult development who's childlike. Because it's just fun to be with. There's a curiosity about them, a sense of wonder, a sense of enthusiasm about what's going on. They might be the smartest person in the room, but they're curious still, and they ask questions. They might be the most accomplished person in the room, but they get excited about somebody who's learning how to play chopsticks. You know? Uh, and they might be the world's greatest pianist. And so we're everyday people who walk with Jesus every day. That's all we do. That's how we demonstrate the kingdom. By every morning getting up and saying, Lord, take all I am. Not much. And as each year goes by, there's less of me. Or in some cases, more of me. <laughs> but take all I am, Lord. Use me for your glory. Because I, I, I know I'm not my own. I belong to the king. I'm a child of the king. I'm a brother, son, or daughter of the king. And so we're everyday people who walk with Jesus every day. We ask questions and seek honest answers. We embrace doubt and grow in faith. We worship, study, and pray. We give and serve. We take responsibility, personal responsibility for our community. How's my community doing? We're not consumers of religious goods and services. We're full participants in a living, growing, thriving, learning community. And we're a family of families valuing each generation. So here's a call to action. I ask you the question, are you willing to be a full participant? But here's a call to action for you to look deep in your heart, your soul, to look God in the eye, to look people around you in the eye. A call to action. No matter where you were yesterday, or what you did yesterday, or believed yesterday, or thought you were yesterday, you can love and serve Jesus today. This is what it looks like to be the greatest person in the kingdom. There's nothing greater than that. And so, Lord Jesus, that's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for uh, my brothers and sisters here. That's my prayer for those who are perhaps exploring you, taking a big, scary step to open up their heart and mind to you, to ask the hard questions, to listen carefully, 
uh, for the answers. But I pray that each one of us can understand it as important as yesterday was, as perhaps exciting or scary as tomorrow is. Today is the day you've given us to love you and to serve you. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a few moments, we will be sharing uh, in Holy Communion together, which we do the first uh, Sunday of every month. Um, and in a moment, the ushers will come forward to receive our gifts to the Lord, our tithes and our offerings. Um, this is a safe place. I hope you all know that this is a, a safe place where we can be vulnerable with one another and we can share what's on our heart. And we are rooted in prayer here. And if you need prayer for anything this week that is heavy on your heart uh, or someone that you know that's going through something difficult, maybe you're going through something really difficult and you need to be lifted up. You can come to our prayer garden right in front of the sanctuary. A member of our prayer team will be there to pray with you. You can also write out your prayer requests in the bulletin the last sheet in there, and we will send out your request to our prayer chain. You'll have many, many people praying on your behalf this week. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of the abundant blessings you give us each and every day, Lord. You care so deeply for each one of us. You care for our future. Even when times are tough, Lord, financially, you always come through. You provide for us. We are grateful. We give back to you now sacrificially, cheerfully, generously, knowing that you will use these gifts to further your kingdom.
on that night, uh, Jesus would be creating a final meal. We're going to talk about this on uh, Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday. Uh, he, he was with his disciples, and he took some bread, uh, some matzah, unleavened bread like this. This is gluten-free matzah. And he blessed it, and he said a prayer over it. And then he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. In the same manner, uh, at the end of the meal, he took a cup of wine. And he said, this is my blood. A new covenant, a new relationship for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now this is an odd, jarring sort of thing, don't you think? If you're at a dinner party with somebody you've been with for three years, and you've been through this before, but in this setting, on this occasion, they personalize it. They say, it's my body. My blood. Uh, this is controversial. This is shocking. Some of the, 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 the people who first heard this said, Are those people practicing cannibalism, drinking blood, eating flesh? And then people who wanted to dissuade people from even understanding what was up with Jesus and this movement sweeping across Palestine and North Africa and over into Europe and around the world said, Yeah, they're cannibalists. It is an odd thing. Why would, why would God do that? Well, really, uh, it's rooted in the history of Israel. When the, the Jewish people were enslaved in Egypt, uh, God said, I'm going to set my people free. And Pharaoh was resistant, and, and you know the story. And, and eventually God said to all the people of Israel, take a lamb, a perfect unblemished lamb, and slaughter it, and then uh, share that lamb with other families as a meal. If your family is too small for a whole lamb, gather with another family. Share that meal. And then take the blood from that lamb and, and, and some hyssop, a natural paintbrush, uh, and, and dip it in the blood. And from the top to the bottom and each side, cover your house, mark your house with blood. So every house in Israel, every Israeli house had, had a cross, a red cross across the door. Very odd thing. And stay in your house until morning. And God sent this angel to sweep across the land and take the firstborn child of everyone in the land in a house that was not marked. It was devastation for the Egyptians. Horrific. It finally broke the heart and the will of Pharaoh and said, fine, go, take whatever you need, but just go. And so that became the, the most celebrated feast in the history of Israel. To this very day, Passover, Pesach. And it's around this meal. This meal, the, the, the cup is Elijah's cup. Never ever touched. Always poured, never touched at any Passover meal. Because this means that the Messiah is among us. The bread. Bread is taken. Some is broken. One piece is hidden in a piece of cloth. Put it to the side. It's called the afikomen. And nobody knows what the afikomen means. But it's, it's hidden. And at the end of the meal, it's, 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 it's held up. It's been found. And so we see the death and the resurrection of Jesus personified in the Passover. And so this became then the rite, the ritual that people would gather together, not as an act of cannibalism, but an act of incredible intimacy, personally with God and as a community with God. Put it in this context. If you've ever held a, a, a freshly bathed baby, a toddler, and you hold them close and they smell so good, and you snuggle them, and if they're old enough to understand, you say, I can just eat you up. If the child don't know if they understand that, they say, please don't, please, really don't. <laughs> but they don't, they just giggle and laugh, and because you're saying, I just love you so much. Every mom knows this incredibly intimate thing to think that I brought you into the world. I gave birth to you. And so this is what we experience in Holy Communion. Jesus is saying, this is an intimate relationship we have. That I'm calling you and inviting you to. You and me, and all of us together. And so we constantly come back to this meal. It's a holy moment, but it's also a moment of deep, uh, love among the family. And so if you're here today and you're saying, well, I don't believe any of this stuff, we're not imposing this on you. We're, I, in fact, I want to ask the people who are presenting in, in, in serving community to come forward right now and take uh, the bread and the, and the cups. But they're going to uh, distribute around the room. And we invite everybody who believes in Jesus to come forward. And they're going to hear something like this. This is Christ's body uh, given for you. This is Christ's blood shed for you. And what's going to happen is you're going to take a piece of this matzah and you're going to dip it in that cup. And what this means is I belong to Christ. 
And if you don't, then we respect that and honor that. So don't feel like you have to participate in this. But if you've been sitting here and you say, you know, I think God is doing something in my life that I want to be a part of. I want to invite him into my life. This could be your first communion. Because it would, it would represent the fact that you are now in an intimate relationship with him. And so, Lord Jesus, we consecrate and sanctify these elements in your name. We recognize in some mysterious way that we can't quite explain that you are present among us and, and present in them. We thank you, Lord, that they represent your, your grace in response to our need. Your invitation to be in a life-changing love relationship with you. Thank you, Lord, for taking the sins of this world upon yourself. Giving us this incredible gift of salvation. That we could live in your grace and walk in your love. And become rooted in your truth. Now and forever. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So please, uh, when you're ready, uh, approach the people who are serving communion. And uh, celebrate Holy Communion with us. And you go back to your seat and simply reflect on it.
Sunday. Uh, you have in your bulletin four descriptions of, of Palm Sunday, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday. Uh, this is part of uh, your call to action. To think about who you'll invite. It might be the scariest thing to imagine inviting somebody. This is not to get somebody to come from another church. Uh, it's to think of who is not connected to the body of Christ that I know. And, or who is connected to the body of Christ, but they don't have a church. Invite them. And even if they can't go, they'll feel like, wow, that was neat. They reached out to me, and it might open up a conversation. So four opportunities uh, to uh, reach out to people that you might bump into in the day, uh, think about right now, perhaps. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon us all, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.